You're listening to Redemption City Church. For more information, check us out at redemptioncitychurch.com. Russ and Mary, I have to say, you guys challenge me. You really do. You know, just uh, to, just soldiers that would continue just to persevere and to push through and to press on into all that God has for you, into your later years. (laughs) Why not? Exactly. And uh, it's incredibly challenging. And it's kind of where I want to start. So, in 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy chapter 4, um, Chris, Chris kind of landed with Philippians 2, I press on to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me, right? We continue to press on, to press forward. But in uh, 2 Timothy 4 verse 6, and it's Paul writing to Timothy, and he says this, he says, I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the picture is there is just to literally just take a glass of water and pour it out, right? I'm being poured out like a drink offering. <clears throat> the time has come for my departure. I have fought the fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. There's two things that strike me immediately about that scripture. One is it's, it's, he's not saying Philippians 2 anymore. He's not saying I press on to lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. He's actually saying I've done it. I've finished it. I've finished the race. Something happened between Philippians 2 and 2 Timothy, Right? Something transpired. There was a transaction that happened. The second thing that strikes me about that scripture is that he knew it. Paul knew it. He knew that he was done. The Holy Spirit obviously told him. God had told him, you are finished. Not one day when he died in front of the pearly gates, Peter said, you made it. You know? But actually, he was still alive right, writing this letter, but had reached this point where he's like, I've done what God asked me to do. I've finished the race. I've, my, my life, my lifestyle, the choices I've made, the, the things I've done, the churches I've planted, all that kind of stuff, I've done it. And immediately, my question is, you know, understanding those two things, that something changed, there was a transaction where it finished, Secondly, that he knew it. My my immediate response is, well, what did he do? What was the thing that he finished? And uh, in Romans 15, in verse uh, 15, it says, I've written to you quite boldly on some points as if to remind you of them again because of the the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ. The grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ. Jesus to the Gentiles, right? To the nations, remember the Gentiles were anybody that wasn't Israel. And so God graced me to be a minister to the nations, to the Gentiles. And then it says this, with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. So it's interesting because it puts two words together there. It puts the word duty, which kind of speaks of obligation, right? 
duty and grace, God's enabling power, God's riches at Christ's expense. And then he goes on to say this. A minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on to uh, verse 19 and says, by the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. The problem with smartphones and Bibles is they don't have maps. So nobody knows where Jerusalem to Illyricum actually is, right? <laughs> and so what, we, what you understand if you look at the map is that you know, Jerusalem is kind of on that far eastern side of the Mediterranean. And really what Paul was doing was working his way around the Mediterranean. Illyricum was the far side of Greece, just to the east of the boot of Italy, right? And he was heading where? Where does the Bible say he was on his way to? To Spain, to go all the way to the Atlantic coast. That's where he was heading. And so when, you know, when he's writing to the Romans, he's saying, hey, I fully proclaimed the gospel of God from Jerusalem all the way around through, you know, Philippi, Macedonia, Kia, through that province of Asia into Greece and Corinth and Athens. It says, I'm, I'm heading towards Spain. I'm heading to the, to the coast of, of, of the Atlantic. I'm coming through Rome. I'm coming to you. I'm coming through Italy because my plan is to keep going. And so when Paul says that, that the Holy Spirit unfolded to him and said, you've, you've run the race, you've, you've done it, what is he talking about? He's talking about fully proclaiming the gospel through the power of signs and wonders, right? Fully proclaiming the gospel all the way through that geographic region into Corinth, and then Rome was where he ended. And uh, if we, you know, his, history says that he was probably burnt at the stake by the Emperor Nero, right, um, in that persecution in Rome where Peter was also killed. Um, they tried to kill John, but he didn't die, so they exiled him. And so uh, he's saying, I've done this. And what, what's interesting is that there's two pieces there. There's the priestly duty. Let me, let me ask you, who here is a priest? Yeah, everybody should put up your hands, right? It's the priesthood of all believers. Thank you. <laughs> I see that hand. It's the priesthood of all believers. It's a priestly duty. It's, it's our obligation to preach the gospel, every single one of us. Are we all graced to be like Paul? Not necessarily, because God gave him a specific grace, right, to, to reach and impact the Gentiles. But there's this, there's this double header of like Paul saying, God graced me to walk in what he walked in. I don't know that I could ever walk in what Paul walked in. You know, uh, you know, I'm always interested in that story in Acts where he's stoned to death and then the disciples gather around. It doesn't tell you much. They, it says the disciples gather around and then it says Paul stood up and then he went straight back into the city that had just stoned him, right? I'm not sure that I had the grace to be like Paul, but there is the same duty, the same duty rests on us, 
the same duty of the proclamation of the gospel. And it's really the, the, the weight of the gospel that I want to dig into this morning. So Hebrews 2, it says we must pay more careful attention, super abundant attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. We don't drift. And the, the analogy is just being on a river and going with the tide, you know, just downriver. God doesn't want us to drift. He wants us to press through. He wants to focus. And so in Galatians 3 verse 8, it says this, the scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. There's a very important principle in biblical interpretation. It's called the principle of first mention. The first place where the gospel is mentioned, in a sense, sets the precedent, sets the pattern for what that gospel is. And so Galatians, Paul writing in Galatians, says that the gospel was first told to Abraham. And, and you know, my natural curiosity is, well, what did God say to Abraham that was the gospel? And it says here in Galatians 3, it says, all nations will be blessed through you. If you talk, think about what the, the gospel is, we, the way we think about gospel is like, well, I got, you know, Jesus came and he died for me and, and I confess my sin and I go to be with Jesus when I die. You know what I mean? We look in Galatians, it says what the gospel is that all nations will be blessed through you. That's the gospel. First mentioned, right? And so when you go and look and you see, well, what actually did God say to Abraham in Genesis 12, it says, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. Talking about going to Canaan. And then, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. This is the gospel, right? I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's the gospel. I will bless you, and through you, all nations on earth will be blessed. That's the good news. Galatians 3 says, so, so those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. We are included with Abraham by faith in that same gospel blessing. I will bless you, and through you, all nations will be blessed. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. That's the gospel. This is the, the, the first, first mention, right? This is, this is God laying in the foundation to the gospel. Genesis 18. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. Genesis 21, after Abraham almost sacrifices his son Isaac, what does God say? He says, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Here's the continued gospel proclamation. Your descendants will take possession of the gates of their enemies. 
you will possess the gates of your enemies. You will possess the cities of your enemies in some other translations, right? Talking about victory this morning. The gospel proclamation, I will bless you and through you all nations will be blessed. I will give you the gates of the enemies. I will give you the cities of the enemy. And then it goes on to say, and through your offspring or through your seed, singular, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Seed, singular, is talking about Jesus. Through your seed, through Jesus, all nations will be blessed. That's what we get to participate in. This, this incredible gospel that we get to partake in, that we get to proclaim. And you realize that right at the heart, right at the very epicenter of the gospel is this passion, is this apostolic kind of prophetic heart, this passion for the, nation, for the nations, right? This heart for the nations. When I first heard this, I was probably 19 when I first heard someone preach about this and it just blew my mind. Blew my mind. I had got saved at school. I was in an Anglican church at the time or Episcopalian, very traditional, incense and bells. You know. um, and so my, my kind of understanding of salvation was very, uh, very me-centered, you know what I mean? I gave my life to Christ, I was forgiven, I was restored. You know, very, it was very much about me. And when, when I heard this, it just blew me away because I'm like, this is so much bigger than me. This is so much bigger than me. This is so much bigger than just my healing and my happiness. It's so much bigger than that, Right? So much of, of, of when we talk about God's intervention in our lives, so much of it ends up being about personal peace. Does this make me feel peaceful, you know? Um, and prosperity, how, how, how can I do better, get more money, et cetera, et cetera? How can I live an easier life? And you realize that actually the heart of the gospel is much different than that, right? The heart of the gospel is about the nations is about Jesus. And I have to say, it changed the whole course of my life. Understanding the essence of the gospel changed the whole trajectory of my life. It wasn't long, you know, I was in, I was in that church for, for one week. The second week I was in the mountains of Lesotho flying with a mission aviation fellowship guys. You know, going into these little villages in the back country in the, the high territory of Lesotho. In realizing straight away that actually this is practical reality, not just theoretical possibilities. And so it's, it's fantastic that Russ and Mary are here because, because the bottom line is in our understanding of the gospel, actually it is about nations, it is about planning churches, it is about God sending us and going, right? They're an epitome of that picture, that we have an inheritance in the nations. God said to Redemption City Church, I will bless you and through you all nations will be blessed. Well, let me ask you, is Tasmania blessed because Russ and Mary went there? Yes, it is. That's part of our inheritance, right? We share, and I love what Russ said, that the team is not just them, the team is us. 
It's a reflection of Psalm 2. It really is rooted in Psalm 2. And Psalm 2 is this, where, where the Father says in verse 5, says, I have installed my king on Zion, Jesus. It's the Father saying, I've put Jesus as my king. I've installed him on Zion, my holy hill. And then Jesus says this. He says, I will proclaim what the Father told me. He says, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. And then it's like the Holy Spirit, this third piece out of this psalm, says, therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned. You rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way. The Holy Spirit saying, hey, this is about Jesus. It's about Jesus. The Father saying, I've installed my king. Jesus saying, the Father's told me the nations are gonna be mine. And so as we, it's this, it's this apostolic prophetic heart. It's this heart for the nations, this, this sending heart, but it's also the seeing heart. It's seeing, seeing the end. Seeing this, that actually the day will come when the nations of the world will, will stand under the rule and reign of Jesus. The last words, Revelation 22. The spirit and the bride say, come. Come, Lord Jesus. Come and rule and reign. It's very easy to look around the nations, right? And say, what is the solution for the nations? What is the solution for the trouble of this nation? Well, there's really only one solution. And it's not democracy. It's not political. It's not military. It's not social. It's a person, and it's the rule and reign of shalom, peace. It's the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, right, that actually is a solution for the nations. And as we look around the nations, we see some of the turmoil that's happening at the moment. There is only one solution, and that's the rule and reign of Jesus. And the more I read the news, the more I look around, the more I find in myself, it's just like, Jesus, please, come. We are deceived if we think it's gonna happen any other way. If we think there's gonna be peace any other way, we're deceived. Let me say this, democracy is not the gospel. The nation's not saved because we vote in a Christian. It's not the way it works, unfortunately. It's about Jesus. And so really what I wanted to get to this morning is to say this, is that ultimately this is about vision. It's about what we're shooting for, what we're looking at. Tim started off this thread with, with envision the victory, you know what I mean? Into that, that thing of repentance, you know what I mean? Patrick, study, you know, get to grips with the words, you know what I mean? Um, Brad, the thing of joy, which really speaks of authority. Start to walk in authority. Chris, the, the, the weight of the gospel. And here it is, it's, it's, it's us saying, look, let's lift up our eyes. Lift up our eyes. Lift your vision higher. Lift your vision higher. If there's one thing that I want you to take away from this morning, it's this. Lift your vision higher. When we get stuck at the coal face, right? It's like you just, you're just working away. Like with a pick, you're just picking away at the coal face. It's very easy to lose the sense of the bigger picture 
of what God is doing. But I want to encourage you this morning, lift your vision higher. You know, it's interesting that Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, he says this, he says, our hope, and this is 2 Corinthians 10, 15, it says, our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our area of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond. I loved, I, I didn't actually know that you guys had already planted. Um, but the fact that, you know, they planted in Tasmania and from their church, they've planted a church, that is phenomenal, right? Um, and it's the same apostolic heart. It's what Paul's saying here. Say that the, this apostolic heart, this apostolic hope is that as our faith grows, Redemption City Church, as our faith grows, as we lift our vision, actually what happens is our area of activity grows. The apostolic heart is always about the region beyond, right? Well, it's not just about us. It's about the regions beyond us. It's about north and south and east and west. It's about, about the states around us. You know what I mean? It's, it's always about God wants to do something here, but he also wants to do something through here into the nations. We came, we came to Denver in 2005, planted a church down south um, with this heart not just to plant a church in Denver, but to see Denver have an inheritance in the nations, to see teams go from Denver, you know, for Denver in a sense to become what God intended to be, a city on a hill, right? That from Denver, from this city, we would see teams go across the nations and see churches planted and impacted. It's almost like God wanted to do something in the middle of the U.S. to impact the coast, right? There's something about that apostolic heart that says, okay, this is not just about us, but as our faith grows, as we, as we grow in faith, as we grow in expectation and anticipation of all that God's going to do, as we grow in number, there is something about numbers. Not, we're not about numbers, but there's something about numbers that's like, hey, we've got more resources, more, more energy, more effort to throw at these things. We've got more you know, it's, it's like we've got more backing. There's more people in the army. There's more people in the fight. It's like when there's, when there's more, it's like God, God's really, the, the, the apostolic hope is, is that out of us, and it's us, out of our faith, we would see that impact grow into the regions beyond. It's interesting that... Um, and I'm going to try and land. It's interesting that in Ephesians 2, verse 19, Paul says that uh, God's household, in a sense, is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. Um, I went past Swedish Hospital the other day, and there's a building site. And actually, right now, there's just a big hole in the ground, and they're still digging. It looks like they're about two or three floors down, and they're still going. Um, what's your first thought when you start to see them going so far down? The first thought is thinking, well, they're going to build a massive building here. What's that about? That's about foundations, right? Um, you don't look at a building and say, wow, what fantastic foundations. In fact, you don't even see the foundations, right? The foundations are below the surface, and yet any building engineer will tell you if you've got problems in the foundation, 
you got problems, right? Major expensive problems. And uh, when you think about the fivefold ministry, you know, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, two of them, it says, are foundations, right? They, they're a little hidden. They're a little bit below the surface. When someone comes in here, they don't see kind of apostolic, prophetic foundation. It's very easy for them to look at the pastoral teacher evangelist and say, oh, you guys are just the same as everybody else. But what you start to understand is that when you've got a different foundation, this apostolic prophetic foundation, it changes the way pastor evangelist teacher function. It impacts everything, right? In a sense, it, br- it, it puts it on a healthy footing. And so if you think about pastor teacher evangelist, you know, how do they change when there's an apostolic foundation? Well, evangelists, you know, without this apostolic prophetic foundation, evangelists is kind of like the gospel becomes a little me-centric, right? Come to Jesus because he loves you and he's going to fight your fights for you and win your victory and make your life a happy life. Apostolic foundation says come to Jesus so you can bow your knee to the king of kings so that you can engage in the fight so that we can win this war so that we can go to the nations. So the, the whole impetus of it is different. You know, come to Jesus is not like slip up, slip up your hand and slip down the aisle and slip into the kingdom. You know what I mean? It's come to Jesus, bow your knee to the King of kings and Lord of lords and give your allegiance to him because he is the coming king. And it's interesting that when you look at the New Testament gospel proclamation, most times New Testament gospel proclamation was what? The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is coming. That was New Testament proclamation. Look at John the Baptist, even Jesus, the disciples. What was their primary proclamation? The the kingdom of God is at hand. It demands a response. Well, what do we do? Yes, I'm going to bow to this king or no, I'm not. How do we know when the kingdom comes? It says, well, when, when demons are driven out by the finger of God, you know the kingdom has come in your midst. It's, it's intimately married with signs and wonders. And so we need to be trusting God for, for that evangelistic thing to, to rise up in a sense within our midst, to come into maturity based on apostolic prophetic foundations. And what is it? It's, not, it's a supernatural kingdom. The evangelistic becomes a supernatural proclamation of a supernatural kingdom. And people are called not, to, not just to come and get healed up, but are called to come and bow their knee. The pastoral changes. The pastoral changes because it's not about just come and get healed up. It's come and get healed up so that you can get mature and whole, so that you can pick up a sword and begin to fight, right? It's more than just stop doing bad stuff. No, it's the thief. It's always interesting when the Bible talks about the thief. What does it say? It says the thief should stop stealing. Secondly, he should do what? Should pay back what he stole. And then it doesn't stop there even. It goes step number three. He should work. Step number four. So that he can give. That's pastoral on apostolic prophetic foundations, right? That it's get healed up. Yes, absolutely, get healed. Stay healed. 
I'm not, I'm not making light of, of, I mean, there are real, there's real stuff that happens, right, that you need to get healed from. And Christ has done everything that's needed for you to be healed. But don't stop there. Get mature so that you can do what? Have an impact. Start to walk in ministry. That, that's the pastoral heart when it's sitting on an apostolic prophetic foundation, right? What about teaching? And we, we're in danger of this, right? Because I think in this culture, so much emphasis on knowledge. If I know about it, I know it. Whereas actually Jesus says it's not about whether you know it or not, it's whether you do it or not. And so teaching on an apostolic prophetic foundation is more about truth applied, walking in it, not just knowing about it, walking in it. How do we walk in the life of God? How do we get trained but start to have an impact? How do we come to maturity in our gift? In other words, what does that mean? How do, how do we come to maturity in our gift? Is how do we actually come to maturity and impact? If, you, if you're praying, if God's called you to pray, how do you come to maturity in prayer and intercession? We actually start to see the answers to your prayers. That you have a track record of breakthrough, right? And so training becomes different. It becomes much more about modeling to multiply than purely about the impartation of head knowledge. I want to land with this one thought that you know Matthew 24 verse 14 says this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations and the word there is, is ethnic groups ethnos um, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations in a sense God's almost saying people have a right to hear the gospel in their own language in their own culture and then it says this, and then the end will come. I want to challenge us this morning to lift our vision, to stir our faith, and to understand the essence of the gospel where, where God says the gospel is this, that I will bless you, and through you all nations will be blessed. We have an incredible picture this morning with Russ and Mary right here with us. It's, it's easy to think in our own personal lives, it's easy to think, gee, that's so far removed from where I am on a day-to-day -day basis. That's so far removed from reality for where I'm at. But the bottom line is that we have a picture of it right here with us this morning. I will bless you, and through you, all nations will be blessed. It's an incredible privilege, in a sense, to participate with Jesus, with the Father, in the coming kingdom in Jesus' coming. Let's stand together. been caught with uh, just been finding myself praying a lot recently just the prayer of Jabez where he said Lord bless me and enlarge my inheritance 
Lord, would you bless me and enlarge my inheritance? I wonder if there's something of that that we can pray this morning. For you personally, for us corporately, as, we, as we're heading into this next season, we're really trusting God for just something more of the manifestation of His life. As we're heading into this next season, we're trusting for more people to be saved, more people to come to Christ, more people to walk into maturity, more people to walk in the gift and the call that rests on their lives. But I'm very aware that it's, it's not one or two people, but it's us. It's every one of us. Asking God to lift our vision higher, asking God to stir our faith for more. And I want us to understand it has nothing to do with strength or capacity, but has everything to do with weakness, everything to do with us positioning ourselves before God and saying, God, in, your, in our weakness, your strength is made perfect. So I wonder if you could, if you want to pray that with me this morning, God, bless me and enlarge my inheritance. Won't you raise your hands with me this morning? Lord, we are asking for an increase of faith, Lord. We're asking for an increase of faith, Lord God. Thank you that you, Lord, you say, I will bless you. And that through you all nations will be blessed. Lord, we are asking that you would enlarge our inheritance, Lord God. Father, the lives of people touched and changed through us, Lord God. Father, effective prayer and intercession, Lord God. Breakthrough in prayer and intercession, Lord. Breakthrough in the proclamation of the gospel, Lord God. Breakthrough in seeing people saved, not just on a Sunday, but just in our daily interactions with people, Lord God. Father, Father, fresh boldness on us, Lord God. Boldness on us, Lord, that you would stretch out your hand through us, Lord, and touch the people around about us, Lord God. Boldness, Lord Jesus, to proclaim the coming King. Lord, thank you for the incredible opportunity that we have to participate with you in your plans and purposes for this city and for this nation and for the nations of the world. Break our hearts, Lord, afresh for the nations of the world, Lord God. Break our hearts afresh for this nation, Lord God, and this city, Lord Jesus. Lord, that this city would be a city on a hill, Lord God. That this city would be a city from which many people go to touch the nations of the world, Lord. Stir us afresh this morning in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. <clears throat> God bless you guys.